you know, the, when we talk about the Buddha and his teaching, he said, I teach two things, the nature of suffering, the nature of dukkha, which is usually translated as suffering, but also means dissatisfaction, unease. But he teaches the nature of suffering and the end of suffering. What causes it and how to move away from it. And the end of suffering is liberation. The end of suffering is freedom, it's nibbana, nirvana, enlightenment. So it's really important to understand what we're talking about. It's helpful to understand what we're talking about so we can know what we're moving towards and we can recognize it perhaps when we experience it. I think it's really important to recognize because a lot of times some, you can have an experience and not know what it is and just kind of let it fly by. There's that ignorance, that delusion, but to have a clarity and an understanding um, I think is really helpful. And so I wanted to talk about a particular aspect of this this afternoon. And um, what I really like to think about is liberation. There is the, there is the enlightenment that comes when we have, well, enlightenment basically, freedom is letting go. Let me just put that out there. I taught a day long last week. I, I, was it only a week ago? Um, I was here and um, Letting go is really uh, what the Buddha taught. Letting go of our clinging, letting go of our craving, letting go of our aversion, letting go of those things that keep us attached to the world, that keep us enmeshed and entangled. He used the word entangled a lot, that help us disentangle. And when we're disentangled, we're free. It's like if you're caught up in something, you're not free. There's no, there's no liberation. There's no freedom of movement. There's a, you're caught by whatever it is. And so um, there's the eventual freedom of enlightenment where we're no longer trapped and there's no more rebirth according to the teachings. But there's also the flavor of, of freedom in this moment. And so to recognize what that is is, I think, really important. And I think... These teachings are especially important right now with the insanity of the moments we're living through. Uh, if there's nothing that we can connect with that may see, that will bring an ease in a, in a wise, uh, in a wise way, um, it's, it's really hard. And I have found these teachings have given me a foundation to land on when the insanity just kind of ramps up. And it seems to be on 11. It's been on 11 for a few years now, if you know that reference. It's like the amplifier doesn't go to 10, it goes to 11, because it's extra nutsy. And um, so this I have found as a way to really find some ease. And in the teaching of equanimity, which is, again, at the end of many lists, it's where we're walking towards. There's freedom in equanimity. There's liberation in equanimity. The Buddha talks about us not being knocked over by the eight worldly winds. We're not knocked, you know, we're not caught up in praise and blame or gain and loss or pleasure and pain. We can be with them because they're gonna happen. They're gonna happen. There is this nature of uh, being a human being where there is loss, there is sadness, there is grief, there is birth and death. That's gonna happen. 
And when we get into a denial of that, that's when there's a lot of suffering. So um, it's important to recognize that this is really beneficial. This, this investigation of liberation, this investigation of freedom is really important. And um, there's, a, there's one sutta that talks about this. It's um, often called the one taste. And the Buddha said, just as the great ocean has one taste, the taste of salt, so also this teaching and discipline has one taste, the taste of liberation. So this teaching, these teachings are all about liberation. And he said that it doesn't matter whether you take a thimbleful of ocean water or a whole jug of it. It's that one taste. And whether you taste it from the, the surface of the water or the middle of the water or the great depths, there's this one taste. And so this is, this is, there's the freedom of not being enmeshed, of not being caught up in craving, of not being caught up in delusion. Um, and he, it also is the, the question that often comes up is, to what extent, and is this freedom available to us as, as householders? I mean, none of us are monastics. I'm not a monastic. So I don't think there's any monastics in the room. I've heard it said that you can't achieve enlightenment unless you are a monastic. Um, but in the Buddhist time, there were a lot of householders who achieved enlightenment. Uh, it's just how much are you willing to work towards this? How much are you willing to give to this practice? And that is part of, the, that's the journey towards liberation. That's the journey towards freedom. And there's, um, there's a paradox that Bhikkhu Bodhi points out. Bhikkhu Bodhi is a monk who's really wise. He's in the Theravadan tradition. And um, he lives back in New York State. And he talks about um, there's a difference. Um, there's a difference today between freedom and what we think of as license. And by license, what, is, what does he say? Um, yeah, he said that the, the distinction, the solution to this, there's a paradox in the distinction between two kinds of freedom. Freedom as license and freedom as spiritual autonomy. And freedom as license is what I think we find, especially in this culture that we live in in the United States, is I want what I want when I want it. I want that. You can't deny me my rights. It's I want it. It's, it's if I see something shiny, and I, I have a right to get it. It's this rugged individualism that we have kind of grown up with that we have the right to whatever it is we have the right to, and that is going, that's going to bring me freedom. Those are my freedoms. Those are my rights. Whereas the spiritual autonomy is a recognition of that stuff out there is not what, where the answer is. That stuff out there is what keeps us trapped. That stuff out there is though it keeps us chained. We're chained to the shiny stuff. We're chained to pushing away the difficulties. We, we are so... Um, Entranced, I know Tara Brock uses that word a lot, but we're entranced by whatever it is out there, and we think that is what will bring us this great ease. When I get this, then. When I get this, then I will be happy. But instead, the Buddha in 
asks us to practice a restraint, to practice a discipline, practice a letting go, which means that it's not out there. It's an internal freedom. The freedom that we're working towards in this practice is internal because this internal freedom can't be taken away. The external freedoms or the stuff comes and goes. When we put all our money and all our effort into a particular thing like, man, if I get that one Buddha or if I get that particular thing, then I'll be happy. I always say that. Then I'll live happily ever after. And you've all gotten something you've wanted, and none of you, I'm guessing, have lived happily ever after, whatever that means. I've gotten stuff I've wanted, and I've never, I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm better than I was, but not because I got the stuff I wanted. It's because of this practice. So, so this practice asks for a, a discipline. And um, Bhikkhu Bodhi, also in the, in the um, I think it's into the introduction or the preface to his, his little book, The Noble Eightfold Path, which is a great little book. He talks about people are not interested in the discipline it takes to really get somewhere in a spiritual practice. And you see that a lot. People are dilettantes. They, they kind of bounce. They go, oh, I'll go over here, and I'll do a little bit of that, because that sounds interesting. And then it gets a little uncomfortable, so then they bounce over here, and then they bounce over there. And so there's a skimming of all these spiritual practices, many of which are really solid and can really offer a path to liberation. But if you only take from the surface, you're not going to get the full benefit of what, is your, what it is you're practicing. Like if I only sat, um, when I started this down this path of, of meditation and insight practice, if I got up when it started getting rough, I'd have been gone decades ago. It's, it's you stay when the going gets rough. But we're not used to that. We're, we're always chasing the pleasant. I want it, and if it's, not, if it's not giving me pleasure, then obviously it's not working. I want to go over, I'm going to go over there. So that's what the invitation is, is to effort, to discipline, to willingness to stay, to willing, the willingness also to let go. And this is where, um, you know, we get into the, um, the actual teachings. There's the Four Noble Truths, that there is, the, there is suffering. It's, it's the fact of being a human being. And the cause of this suffering is our craving for sensual pleasures, our unwillingness to be with the discomfort of being a human being, that human condition, which is like so annoying. But it's all we have. I mean, it's, it's, I can't get away from being a human being. So it's that as well. Um, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. And the Eightfold Path, the first factor is to recognize the Four Noble Truths, that there is suffering. And the second Noble Truth talks about its wise intention. And one of the pieces of wise intention is renunciation, which is this discipline, which is this willingness to let go, this letting go of what doesn't serve us. It's a willingness to let go of the stuff, the stuff, the actions, the, the ideas, the thoughts, 
of what we think is going to bring us happiness, but instead brings us suffering. I was thinking about this the other day, last night. I, I was, um, I, I, I've come up with this idea that I used to have a really small outlook of the world. I called it, I had a pea brain. And everything, I saw the world in a particular way. And uh, I needed to behave in a particular way. Because if I wanted a particular outcome, I had to behave in a particular way. And certain things meant certain things. And if they didn't do it that way, then it meant something else. And it was so small and so constricted. And it's impossible to live in such a constricted way. But I had built up this this world view to keep myself safe, to think to, to what I thought was going to take me down a path to happiness. But it's just it was just always out of reach, always out of reach, always out of reach. Or I would get the one thing and think that was it, and then just be it would, it, it's like you know trying to lift um, pick up sand with your fingers. It just falls right through. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. Because I'm so stuck on this idea of what it's supposed to be, this deep conditioning that we have, that we all have. And so I had to be willing to let go of that worldview, to chip away at that little armor, that, that idea of the world to be willing to chip away at it, to be willing to let go of it and say, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's something different. Maybe you don't have to do a particular thing. Maybe I don't have to look a particular way. Maybe you don't have to believe something. Maybe you all don't have to behave, and I can still be OK. It's not an external. We, our spiritual freedom cannot be achieved through external means. It's an internal path of purification. That's what this path is. It's an internal path of purification, where we chip, chip, chip away of that stuff that causes us suffering. And that's when we have to recognize what gets in the way of our freedom, what gets in the way of our liberation. What brick wall do we keep running into? And only we can answer that. My, my attachment to. Um, you know, having people think about me as a certain way. I mean, okay, I've said this, I know I've told this story before, but it's, it's silly, but it's, this is one of those things that I, um, these bizarre ideas that we get, I'm going to label mine bizarre, because mine are bizarre, yours may not be, but there are these things that get in our way, like, somebody reminded me of this the other day, and I know I've told this story, but in the supermarket, I think I thought it was I th thought it was morally it, it was better to buy fresh vegetables than frozen vegetables. Somewhere I heard fresh vegetables are better than frozen vegetables, and that somehow you're morally a better person if you buy fresh vegetables. I don't know where that came from, but you know, thing ideas seep into our minds because we're 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 getting inundated all the time with with. We're, there's a barrage of information coming at us all the time. And when we're not paying attention, stuff moves in, and we begin to believe things, and we begin to create worldviews of how things should be and shouldn't be. 
And I had this view that you're a better person if you don't buy frozen vegetables. And I found myself in the supermarket pushing my cart back and forth between the frozen food aisle and the, the produce aisle. Back and forth, back and forth, because I wanted to buy corn on the cob. Corn on the cob was in season. I was looking at it, and then I went, but I don't know when I'm going to eat it. I want to have it. I, may, I don't want to buy it and have it rot in the freezer, in the fridge. And so I, and it was like, I was, my, I was, that's, that is painful. That is discomfort. That is, that's, but that's how I lived my life. As I said, that's just a simple little example. But if that's how you're running your life all the time, it's incredibly painful. And not, and, and then there's the other things like, being in a relationship that's not working, but not being able to get out of it because then I would be a failure. Or whatever that means, however that works in our minds. All these different stories that are, we tell ourselves that we're trapped by. So we stay a lot longer in the relationship than we should. Long past its expire date. And when I was in the supermarket when, that one day going back and forth, all of a sudden I stopped and I went, who made that rule? And the answer was Mary. And I went, okay, this is the question you're going to ask from now on. If the, who made that rule? If the answer is me, then I need to pause and think twice about it and go, is that true? And that's how I started chipping away recognizing that I had built this world that was like so regimented. Even though I was bouncing all over the place, internally it was regimented. So it didn't matter how many shiny objects I got, the internal world was still so painful. And that's what had to be addressed. And the stories we tell ourselves, not good enough inadequate, unlovable, whatever it is. Uh, nobody likes you. You'll never, you'll never amount to anything. Or whatever, and we all have those different ones because again, of the information we've received, the things we've been told, the comparing mind. I compare my, the old thing, I compare my insides to your outsides. And you look, you know, even in meditation, go on retreat and open your eyes and look. Everybody else is a much better meditator. Look at them. And I'm like, oh, if they only saw my insides. It's like, even there. So we do these things to ourselves. So the freedom comes when we can begin to let go of that. It's an internal proposition. It's not external. You know, it's not external. Ajahn Chah. He's a, he's a monk in the last century in Thailand, who I love. I love his, his teachings. And I'm gonna, the passage he talks about, he says, um, when suffering ceases, where do we go? What are we practicing for? We are practicing to relinquish, not in order to gain anything, but to relinquish. There was a woman this afternoon who told me that she is suffering. I asked her what she wants to be, and she said she wants to be enlightened. I said, as long as you want to be enlightened, you will never become enlightened. Don't want anything. You know, don't want anything. There is a passage um, 
that I love, I didn't bring it with me, from Ajahn Sumedho, who is a, also a monk in the Thai forest tradition, and he talked about let go, let go, let go, you know? You know, be an earthworm. Don't want to be, don't, he, he goes on to, you know, practice this and learn Pali and learn Sanskrit and become a, an expert on um, international Buddhism and go to conferences and give talks. And, and he goes, just let go, let go, let go. He said he practiced for two years. And whenever anything would come into his head, he would just let go, let go, let go, let go. That's the discipline, the willingness to let go. The spiritual autonomy that emerges from this struggle, this discipline, is the ultimate triumph over all confinement and self-limitation. Requirements in, require restraint, control, discipline, and the final price as the final price. But we when we are willing to make that effort to let go, we have to let go of the things that are near and dear to us. Those habits, my sarcasm, which I know I've also talked about. It was so near and dear to me. It was such a part of who I am or who I was. I really treasured it because I was good at it. I was funny. People laughed, I belonged, but I also hurt people. People told me I made them cry with my sharp tongue, and I went, I don't want to do that. I have to be willing to let that go. So I said, okay, renunciation. Wise speech, again, the Eightfold Path is a way we can hold this, this practice is a way to develop a different kind of foundation. And this foundation of the Eightfold Path, this way to live, oh, not causing harm, cultivating compassion and kindness, not taking what's not offered and cultivating generosity. Generosity is an antidote to clinging. Being wise and gentle with our speech. Oh, no sarcasm. Okay. If I'm committed to this. So that's a groundwork that if I let go of everything, who will I be? I land on this foundation. I land on this groundwork that the Buddha has offered, this Eightfold Path this path away from clinging, this path away from being enmeshed and entangled, this path of purification, of burning up all those things that cause suffering, cause dissatisfaction and comfort. And Ajahn Buddhadasa, who was a monk also in the last century, he said, you know, we let go of I and me and mine and this taking birth as the people who want. I am the person who wants. I see something shiny, I want it. I become that person. I'm the person who wants that. I'm the person who doesn't want that. And he said, um, when we experience the deliciousness of something, we think that we have the freedom to experience this deliciousness. For the sake of some physical delight, we abandon our spiritual freedom. In fact, we have surrendered our freedom to the power of that delicious thing.
people never really notice this. And on the other hand, when angry or hating, we also lose our freedom to that thing. When the mind is full of anger or hatred, we ought to notice that we've lost all freedom. And these things are biting and clawing us so that we're covered with wounds. When afraid of something, we surrender our freedom to that thing. Nowadays, our world is full of fear and terror such that no spiritual freedom remains. When we give ourselves over to these things, it doesn't mean that there isn't fear. That doesn't mean there isn't these, these um, emotions. But we recognize them for being there, and we don't give ourselves over to them. We don't let, um, yeah, we have this clarity, this mindfulness, so that we can see what's happening. We can see the the greedy mind, which I have that those greedy tendencies. I want it all. The good stuff, not the, I want to go down retreat, and I want to do this, and blah, 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 blah. And I try and figure it out so I can do multiple things at the same time, and it never works out. I have become enmeshed. I have taken birth as the person who wants it all, and it never works out. Either I'm, I'm disappointed, or I disappoint others because I make plans and then I can't and then I can't meet my um, my commitments and then I feel less about myself. I get annoyed with myself. So one little thing leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the next. If we're not paying attention, you know, intention leads to action, leads to habit, leads to character, leads to destiny. So we have to make sure our intention, wise intention, includes renunciation and letting go of those things that entrap us. That's where freedom is, the willingness to let go. Only the correctly established mind is free, so we must learn how to establish the mind so that it retains its freedom. It's living in this place of no preference, of recognizing that right now it's like this. That's like one of my favorite sayings. Right now it's like this. Unpleasant, pleasant, okay. And it's really important to, rec I have to say this, that I'm talking about our personal experience, our internal freedom, Dealing with the injustice and the violence in the world is something different. But I can have an internal freedom where I'm not de, um, totally demoralized by the world. Recognizing when it's a lot, learning to take care of ourselves, because there's a lot right now. There's a lot of fear, a lot of, of terror, a lot of violence. So we have to learn to take care of ourselves in many ways. And one of these is the spiritual practice. How do I hold all this stuff? How do I hold this stuff today? And a lot of it is this reflection, is this mindfulness, is this effort to let go of should. It should be this way. 
It might, should, should my, it should be that way. Yeah, maybe, but I don't have to get all enmeshed in should because should is out there. How do I hold the reality of this moment? Not how am I going to take care of what's happening tomorrow, but how do I hold right here, right now, internally? Living in this place of no preference, that's, that's um, you know, equanimity. That's an open heart. It direct intimacy with our own experience without preference. Right now it's like this. Praise, okay. Blame, okay. Pleasure, okay. Pain, okay. Gain, okay. Loss, okay. It's going to happen. And not in a spiritual bypass kind of way where we use our practice to deny our feelings, but to create a space to hold our feelings. That's really important. The freedom to have our feelings is enormous. Because I spend a lot of my life uninterested in feeling anything. It's like, what do I do not to feel? How do I not feel? And it's, you can run, but you can never hide. I tried it all, drugs, alcohol, sex, everything. Never shopping, because I was always broke. But everything else, you know? How do I not feel? And feelings, are, they, I had a friend who said they're gonna, they're, they eat their way, <laughs> they're gonna eat their way out. So how, and this, this practice says, discipline, sit, turn towards with a kindness, with a compassion, with a willingness to be with, sati, be with. That's a tremendous freedom when you don't have to run away from anything. You don't have to run away from an emotion. That's the freedom that this practice offers. The freedom to absolutely be right here in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the joy. Just as important to acknowledge joy. Really important to acknowledge joy, especially in the nonsense that's happening right now. And you hear a lot of people say, yeah, you're not going to deny my joy because it's here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to laugh at the cute little babies and the silliness of my cats. Because it's right there. We are present with our moment. Jack Kornfield said, this is the final message of the Buddhist, the Buddhist teaching communicates to its followers. You are free. This freedom is the very nature of our own heart and mind. You know, in the Mahayana tradition, they talk about Buddha nature. But there is a freedom that's available to us right now when we let go of clinging, when I know you have each experienced this moment, whether you're aware of it or not, where you're just right here, just sitting, just present, just being, with no need for that, no need for this. But you know, the Buddha talked about remembering when he was a young boy, just sitting and watching his father, just at ease recognize those moments of ease. 
because we don't recognize the freedom when it's there, we're missing out. We're in, we're, we must be somewhere else. So recognize the ease. Sitting outside in an, in an evening looking at the hills, just sitting, just being. Recognize the ease, the freedom, because you're in that moment you're not wanting anything. You're not hating anything. You're not pushing or pulling. There's no preference. There's just an intimacy with the moment. That's the freedom. But it takes effort. It takes willingness. I, I mean, my life has changed dramatically because of this teaching, because of the willingness that I've, been, um, I've brought to this practice. The effort. One of the factors of the Eightfold Path. Wise effort. You know? Uh, seven factors of awakening. Mindfulness. Paying attention. Effort. Investigation. What's going on here? What is this? Oh, I'm stuck in that idea that doesn't work. How do I let that go? And then when you can let go of that, let go of the hindrances that get in our way, this craving, this aversion, this restlessness, this worry, this fear, this doubt, this dullness. There's an ease that arises, a joyfulness, a tranquility, a collectedness of mind, and equanimity. That's the path to awakening. And it starts with paying attention and willingness to let go. So those are my thoughts on freedom and liberation and um, I really thank you for your um, I thank you for your attention and uh, I hope it's been of some benefit thank you for visiting undefended Dharma these teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.